it's a, it's a declaration, God, this morning. God, when we know it's true, when we feel it's true, God, when we doubt it's true and we don't feel it's true, God, it's still true. God, you reign over all things, everything, all days, every day, for eternity, past, eternity, into the future, all of eternity. God, you reign. God, I pray that you would make that true, God, in the deepest parts of our soul. God, etch it into uh, our souls this morning that we would believe and declare and walk out the truth. God, that, God you, you're, you're in charge. You're in charge. God, your ways are true and your ways are good. And we listen and follow you this morning. And be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. Hey, say hey to somebody beside you or behind you while you're sitting down. Give them a greeting. Top of the morning. It's like 11. <laughs> hey, uh, before we dig into um, our, uh, our message for this morning, I do have uh, a few, uh, few announcements. We have some small groups that have started. We got a couple that are about to begin. So this is the season right now to engage with um, really in the life of the church outside of just Sunday mornings here at the church. I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, last night we had a, uh, a men's chili night, which invited all the guys to come out, and, and uh, we had several that were able to join. It was really fun. Now the ladies, it is your turn. We will not be providing chili, however. You guys have, um, you have I'm sure you have uh, better, more delicate, uh, wonderful food. Uh, but y'all have this coming up uh, Saturday. This weekend, the uh, unique, Uniquely You women's event right here at the church started at 10 a.m. It's from 10 to noon, and uh, I want to encourage you, you guys to come for that. Um, uh, ladies in the church are hosting that. Lindsay's going to be doing some speaking, and uh, it's going to be really, really good. I want to uh, encourage you to be there, bring somebody with you, and right here at the church for uh, right now while we're in our space before we... Um, move back out in order that we might move back in. Uh, we're we're going to use the space as much as we can, and so we got a couple uh, opportunities for that. Got a couple small groups that'll be here during the week for now, as well as um, some of these events. Uh, I do want to um, have a special prayer this morning. There's a uh, you guys uh, very aware of what's going on in within just world events with Russia and Ukraine, and it impacts uh, the entire world. And we we're not going to. There, there are a million things that we could say and a million opin opinions that we could have and, um, and, uh, and everybody has them. But the, uh, to boil it down, um, I just want to take a moment of the service this morning and declare again together uh, who's in charge and also pray for our uh, brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord over in Ukraine. Uh, Psalm, there's a passage, Psalm 46 says this. Uh, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. That's who God is. He makes them cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, this familiar passage, to the wars of the world, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. So I want to take a minute in prayer. We actually, um, there's a family in our church uh, from Ukraine, uh, Vasily and Anna, and uh, we want to pray for you guys, and we also want to pray for um, 
uh, the country and those uh, brothers and sisters that are over there. And so would you do this this morning just in prayer? Would you uh, stretch out your hands? Uh, you can lift them up for the Lord. You can hold them out like this. or You can stretch them out. If you would do this, we're just going to uh, bring prayer before the Lord. And there's a couple prayer points on the screen that we can use, but we want to submit and surrender and ask God for ultimately for peace. Father, this morning um, in this small church, in this small city, in this small state, in this small part of the world, God, yet even as small as we are, God, there are huge, huge things that you do just through small seeds. And so, God, with our prayer, we pray this morning, we declare, we ask for supernatural protection. God, for those that are in the Ukraine, God, our fellow brothers and sisters that are there, those that are in harm's way, God, we pray for the Christians there that you would give them courage. You would fill them with courage. God, put the, your words in their mouth, God, that your gospel, the true gospel of peace and joy and righteousness, righteousness in the Holy Spirit would go forth even in this moment. Nothing like this has ever before in the history been able to stop you from moving forward with your message so it's, it can't be done right now either. God, we pray for strength and wisdom on how to serve the people best, God, as your church, the body of Christ. And we pray for trust in the Lord, and we pray for your provision for those in need. God, as we begin to have opportunities where we can contribute not only in prayer, God, but for those who are seeking shelter, seeking refuge, God, seeking help. God, we, we, we pray, uh, show us that direction, God. We believe you. We trust in you. The true Prince of Peace, in Jesus' name, amen. We, um, we pray for peace. We pray for the end of war. And... Um, we eagerly await the day, one day, when Jesus puts the broken world back to right. And um, that's how we stand. And we stand in this hopeful tension between knowing that the truth of God's word is, is here, and yet at the same time, we're waiting for that to be here also. It's a, it's a here, but it's not yet. And there's this tension, and that's where us as believers are. And so we declare it, and we wait on it, and we walk, on it, we walk in it at the same time. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in. We're, we're in the a, a, a middle of a passage of Scripture and um, haven't, really, haven't really named the series, but if you've been here uh, last week and this week, the next couple of weeks, if you come up with a good name, I would invite you to come tell me and we will declare the name of this series, have a little vote on it or something. But we're in the passage of series where Jesus is um, talking to uh, the, the, the crowds, but he's directing his attention to uh, mostly to the Pharisees, and so talked a good bit about the Pharisees last week. Uh, Easter's coming up soon, and so we want to look at some of the things that Jesus has taught leading up to this season of recognizing his death and resurrection. Um, one of the biggest uh, um, moments, the biggest moment in uh, not just in Christian history, but uh, honestly in world history. And um, so we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus has taught uh, going into that. Our passage of scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 23. So the gospel according to Matthew. And Jesus is talking here. And um, he says this, beginning in verse, uh, tw uh, verse 5. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. He's talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's for people to see. And so they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. 
They're having fun next door. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. You're all family. So don't call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. He's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have an instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So February 9th, uh, 2009 is a day that changed us all. You guys remember where you were, February 9th? It's a day that changed us, all of us. It, it may have impacted your lives really more than anything else. You, you, do you remember it? It was the day that Facebook introduced the like button to their platform. And uh, we might not think it's much, but uh, honestly, it, it completely reoriented society's understanding of itself. All in the like button. Before they added the button, who knew, you know, if, uh, uh, before they added it, 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 it was cool if just a couple people kind of commented on something that you said. And, um, but, but, but have you ever, have you ever gone back to, um, uh, years back and looked at some of this stuff? I don't know how, if you, if you've been on Facebook, it, Facebook came out when I was in college and it was only for college people. And I was like, I'm so special because it's just for me. And then they opened it up to everybody and I was like, whatever. And, um, but I remember they didn't, there was no like button. So you just kind of post things every once in a while. You ever gone back and read it? It's, it, I'm a, you're a different human than you were back then. I've just gone back, you know, Joel is what I'm going to the store. Well, Things have gotten more creative now. And so um, it's, it's I, I don't, I, I know that um, now people really, we, we create posts in order that people will comment. Not just so that, you know, it just happens to get a couple comments, but we, we create them in order that they will. The, the like button added performance to life itself. And so it really is something that never happened in in. In, in the scale of human history, and yet somehow it's bled into even how we practice our faith or even how we don't practice our faith. It's, it's amazing. We, we, we cannot live in a performance-oriented society, which is where we are now, and then just kind of take those clothes off and then walk into church as if nothing's different. It's, um, it's really the home base where we seek uh, where it, the, the, it's the home base where attention and validation, that whole, that whole deal has shifted, completely shifted. And so this is what we see in this passage with the Pharisees. Everything they did was for show. It was, it was all for show. Uh, uh, verse 5, everything they done is for, everything they did was for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor. In the most important seats in the synagogues, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. And so this morning, I want to share a couple things with you. One of them is uh, we got four Pharisee facts. All right, four Pharisee facts that we see in the text, four, four tells really in the heart that we can see what's happening. The first one is uh, the Pharisees, they live a performative life. Everything they do is for people to see. They, they, they really turn the practice of their faith inside out. And it's taken something that was uh, designed to connect them to God, but instead they used it for gain for their, for, for their own selves. And so it, it's, it's kind of hard just to like live your life now. It's, it's, it's hard just to live your life with, without some kind of proof that you're living your life, right? So I went to, I took my kids 
and some of their friends to uh, go hiking this past week. Um, um, there, there was a kid, all the kids were out of school, so we went Monday morning, we went hiking, and I got up to one of the trails, I got out of the car, and the kids are, everybody's going bananas, and, uh, which is fine, that's why you go hiking, so they can just run, and, um, and I forgot my phone and my wallet, I didn't have anything, it was just me, just my person, just me, and I did not know what to do, and I thought, what am I supposed to do, all these kids are here, and I've, I've taken them, I'm like hero dad right now. Because Lindsay's working, and the other parents were working, and I'm like, here I am with like 100,000 kids. I think there were four. But and I'm like, how can I prove to people how much fun that we are having right now? And so we hiked up, we hiked up these trails, and, and we got on the, you just have to trust me, I'd show you pictures, but I can't. And so we got on these trails, and there's these boulders everywhere, and they're like standing up there, and I'm like, look what I could do right now if I just had a phone in my hand. How will anybody ever remember this moment? What did we ever do? What did every, did we even, were we even alive before phones? Were we even there? And, 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 it, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's hard, it's hard to even, even live life right now. And so here's the thought, others don't need to, sh the, the idea is that, th that we think that others don't need to share this moment with me, others need to know that I'm having a moment like this. That's the, that's the, that's the concept where it is. And so when it comes to faith, we have to be careful not to do this. When it comes to faith, you've got to be careful. It's challenging because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount he says, uh, don't practice your righteousness in front of people. And at the same time, he says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't practice your faith in front of people. Don't hide your light in front, in, in, under a bushel. And, um, and so we're kind of stuck and we're like, well, where, where do I, how do I land? What are we supposed to do? Which is it? And the key here really is motive. Who, who gets the glory for what it is that you're doing? In our faith, who, who gets the glory? And that's the, that's the question. This is the, really the first sign of toxic religion that Jesus hates is living a performative life. And he has a target in the text that he's talking to. And it's these Pharisees and teachers of the law. And yet at the same time, there's so much that we can glean from it. Number two is they have, a, they have carefully curated appearances. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. So anybody in here wear phylacteries or, or tassels? No. So phylacteries were all the men that went to the chili night last night. They're like, I'm pretty sure I do. Pretty sure. I don't, I'm not positive, but I think so. So they're basically these little black prayer boxes with scriptures in them that were worn either on the forehead. You had like a leather strap that would go around. It was either on the forehead or on your arm. And so you literally walk around. And so what Jesus was saying was, you make these you make these prayer boxes so that everybody can see. And these um, the tassels, the prayer tassels that are coming off of your robes, extra long and extra large, so that everybody can see. You'd be like, hey, I pray. Look at all this prayer that I do. And so he's 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 talking about um, what they have on the outside. It's a, it's it's amazing how often we can take these symbols of devotion, but turn them into self-seeking status symbols instead. And that's really the great challenge in the church, and this is what they were doing. God wanted them to have this deep sense of practice, but they were really just signals. The things that they were wearing were just signals. And so we really do this all the time. You can uh, take whatever slogan, you know, common for the day you know, that we align with, and, and we, you know, we, put our, we put the sign in the yard with a sticker on the car, or the profile photo on, on social media. But often, 
it doesn't make its way into anything that we actually do. It's just the sign in the yard, the sticker on the car, the profile on, the, on social media. And we, so we see it all the time with, with famous people. It's, it's signaling without really any substance. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing really there. It's this huge challenge even for people of faith. And that's why Jesus was directing it. The third one is this. They use faith for elite access. Matthew 23, 6, they love the place of honor. They love the most important seats. They love it. And so in their world, they would have had um, these U-shaped tables. And so really the most, uh, the, the social importance was shown by who was sitting in the middle. All right? Now think back middle school. Think back eating in the lunchroom. All right? Maybe you had the same, same concept. You didn't have U-shaped tables, but you, do, you, you knew where the most important person socially was, where they sat, and then all the minions came off of them. Maybe that was you in the middle. Maybe you were the cool one. I don't know. Maybe you were out on the fringe. I don't know. But this is what the Pharisees did, and the teachers of the law. They loved the, fan, they loved the seat right in the middle so that everybody could see. It was, it was visual. You could see who the most important was in the room. There was this huge desire for elite access, and Jesus hated this. He hated it. The fourth one that they had was they had this huge need for recognition. Verse 7 says, they love to be greeted with respect and called rabbi. And so when you love that recognition, Jesus says that your, your motives are off. A lot of people have talked about, written about the, the false self versus the true self or the authentic self. Our, our authentic self is really how God wants us to be. So often in life, though, we get hurt and wounded and life takes a toll on us. And so what happens is we, we begin to live with a mask over really who we are. And, and so all the, the writers on the false self, and they say pretty much the same thing, the worst kind of false self is the religious self, is the religious mask. It's the, it's, the, it's the worst one. And the reason is because at its core, it's a performance-based self. The religious self is about performance. It has morality in it, and there are certain skills and certain competencies that you can grow in, but they never actually touch or affect your character. They never really go beneath the surface. And it gives you and I this validation as we learn the ins and outs of this, maybe even this religious system. But in our heart, it's really all about us. Brene Brown says this, it's, it, it, this, this seeking often leads, it's, ekes its way really into a type of perfectionism. And she says this, perfectionism actually isn't self-improvement. Perfection is at its core about trying to earn approval and acceptance. And Jesus says this isn't what God had in mind. The earning isn't what God had in mind. And they would use this life-giving truth but turn the attention onto themselves. And so often that's where a lot of people searching for truth stop. They say, see, see, it's all toxic and even Jesus agrees with me. Even Jesus agrees with me. But he does provide an, alterna an alternative. And um, we can see that in Matthew chapter 23, a, a, a little bit later, uh, beginning of verse 8. He says, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, 
and you're all brothers, you're all family. And so don't call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors. You have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus' alternative here, we boiled it down really into, into three kind of core realities that we live from. So rather than the external and the outside on the appearance that Jesus directed uh, uh, his um, uh, talk toward those Pharisees and teachers of the law, instead it has to be lived out from the inside. So three core realities that we live out of that really help break our, um, our addiction to validation from other people. And the first one is this. Is that you, he says this, you already have a father. You already have a father. There's, there's, there's something built into the human family that echoes really the origin that we see even in God, even in our own families. And a lot of people live life out of an, an orphan spirit. So somehow fathers seem to be able to grant or withhold to their children some kind of blessing that either sets them up in life to live with uh, a type of confidence or it creates a deficit where we feel like we have to strive to earn that blessing. And somehow it's, somehow the, even in our families, there's that echo of the divine family. I actually did a, a whole series um, about a year and a half ago called The Blessing that spoke even to this, how big, how important it is even in the family of God. And so Jesus is pointing out to these people who are projecting all of their needs onto these religious figures that were around them, hoping that they can help. And Jesus looks at them instead and he says, you actually already have a father. You don't have to project all these needs onto, onto these uh, uh, religious leaders or these religious figures. You already have a father. Romans 8 says this. Paul says, um, later on, just a few years after Jesus has left, he says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. We say, Dad, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so you've not been given a spirit where you're a slave again to fear. You have the spirit of adoption. This is, what, this is what that means. It means if you have the Holy Spirit in you, that the deepest cry of your heart actually to God will be Father. And His response will be my child, my son, my daughter. And so many people especially in religion, we try to earn out of our wounding what is already there by blessing. We try to work at it, and we try to do, we try to conjure up, and we try to earn what is already freely given by God. And so in Christ, there, there is no earning. He's already provided the way to the Father. The second core reality we live out of is, is this. You already have a true teacher. You already have a father. You already have a true teacher. He says, you're not to be called rabbi. In other words, Jesus is saying this, all the truth that you are looking for is in me. It's in Christ. We are, um, in a lot of ways, we are uh, addicted to associated greatness. We want to associate ourselves with 
uh, all things great. You can see it for sure in sports. Uh, we want to attach ourselves to, uh, to greatness there. I have this season alone um, watched more Auburn basketball than all seasons combined for me. Now, I'm an Auburn fan. I love me some Auburn football, but I've now moved over because Auburn has been good all year until I started watching, and we've begun to lose every game that I watch. But why do, why, do, why do you sell more merchandise in the year that the team's doing great? Why do you, why do you watch more games, pay more attention? We love to be a fan, and, and, and that's me. Now, look, if you went there, God bless you. I know we got some, uh, we have, you know, whatever school you went to, we have some graduate, Auburn graduates in here. Um, <laughs> yay, didn't mean to throw that out there. Um, however, you, you're, um, I've, I, I, um, so I'm distracted <clears throat> right now. The truth is, is that it moves over not only with, um, I'll be honest with you, I was waiting on somebody to scream out Roll Tide, and I just thought, I can't, I thought, it was like, a, okay, that was softball for you, you're welcome. But the associated greatness, it works with sports, uh, uh, but it also works in the church, too. And so we, can, we, we love to be connected to ministers or churches or ministries of, of influence sometimes because we feel like it, it somehow our, our deficiencies or that we think are our deficiencies can be healed by somebody else's extra giftedness. And so I remember I went to, uh, I was at the grocery store um, years ago, I was, in ministry, my, my, when I was on staff at a church, my last church in, in Birmingham, I was there for 13 years. We were on staff. We served in uh, children's and student ministry, family ministry across the board. And so we, and we had a guy that had come through our uh, children's ministry, and I was his kid's pastor. And uh, he grew up in our ministry, and then later on, a few years later, his family left, and they went, to, they went down to a different church down the road. And, um, and so I saw him, hadn't seen him in years, and I saw him at the grocery store. And he goes, Pastor Joel. I said, hey, man, how's it going? So good to see you. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing great. It's just phenomenal. I'm doing awesome, and which was really good because he was a hoodlum. And so I said, man, that is awesome. I said, where, where are you at, man? Are you, are you in church anywhere? He's, he's older. i got to make sure that he's plugged in somewhere. Yes, man. He said, I'm down at this church. He told me what the name of the church was. He's like, it is awesome. And I was like, that's awesome. And he goes, you need to come. And I was like, right on. And he goes, you need to come with me to my youth group on Wednesday nights. And I was like, <laughs> funny enough, man, I don't know if you remember when you were in my youth group, but we also met on Wednesday nights. And so I actually have my own youth group on Wednesday nights, but I'm so happy for you, man. I'm happy. Plug in. Go with Jesus. Dig in. And he goes, he, and I said, I, I already have the group, so I can't come. You know, I'm, I'm usually teaching on Wednesday nights. And he goes, just start coming and bring them with you. And I went, and I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> I said, I, 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 I'm teaching about Jesus, and, and I have Jesus, and our students have Jesus. I said, you actually have Jesus too. So Jesus is in you, and your church that you're at has Jesus too. But you have him too. You can, you can meet with Jesus with the other students that are there, and I can meet with Jesus with the other students that I'm with. And I said, I don't, I'd love to go, but I don't think I'm going to be able to go. And he was so fired up. He was passionate. I didn't want to just destroy him. But I kind of did want to. But we, we, love, we love to do that. And oftentimes, we, we can, if we're not careful, we'll associate ourselves with somebody that has extra giftedness in order to cover up something that we feel like that we lack. 
We feel like that we lack. And Jesus is sitting over here going, he's going, look, man, you already got a teacher. Jesus is in you. He's not saying, don't go to church anymore. Go sit at home and read your Bible, and you can get all the Jesus that you need by yourself. That's not the truth. That's not, you actually can't get all the Jesus you need by yourself. You, you and I have to have faith together with others. We, we, we it is, it's, I, I hate using definite saying you can't serve Jesus by yourself. But the truth is, is if you go at it long enough alone, eventually you're going to find yourself alone. You're going to be confused. You're going to be wondering, where is everybody? Where's my faith? I got questions. I got nothing. Just take the entirety of the pandemic, for example. So many of us were told we need to, be, we need to go back to, the, we need to go back home. You know, don't be around anybody for a long time. And for what, whatever we knew at the time about the pandemic, aside from all of that, all I knew coming out was this, was that the more all of us were alone, the more darker and deeper and nastier it got even in our own minds. Loneliness and depression just kind of elevated like this. We could list you off a thousand statistics. You can't be by yourself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you already have a father and you already have a teacher. Jesus is in you too. The third thing he says this, core reality that we live out of is that you are all family. He says you're all brothers. Matthew 23, 8, you're all brothers. You're all family. In other words, you already belong. The Pharisee groups have created this false hierarchy and, and make you strive to achieve something that's already provided for you. And so if you really believe this, it'll lead really to a different practice. Your practice will change. Later on, verse 11, Matthew 23 says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the kingdom of God, greatness is defined by the opposite of the picture he just painted of the phylacteries and the tassels and the high seat in the corner and everybody looking. It's the opposite. He says the greatest is the least. Greatness is defined by servanthood. And so a, a lot of you already know all these things. Um, you've heard a lot of this before. One of the greatest tasks of your life will be reorienting the person's opinion of who you value most in your life and instead living out of a place from the love of God, not for the love of God. Living out of a place from God already loves me, not if I do these things, then he will love me. And so we get this incredible picture of what that looks like early in Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 3 Verse 16 and 17, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water. He's about to start his ministry. He's baptized. He comes out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven says these things. This is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. There are three elements to every blessing. There are three elements, and you can see them right here as the Father blessed the Son in front of everybody around. The first one is this. It is acceptance. This is my Son. Acceptance. This is my Son. The second one is affection, whom I love. And the third one is affirmation. With him I'm well pleased. The majority of us are probably good for probably two, two of these, maybe two of the three. Uh, you know, acceptance, I get it. Uh, God loves me. I have, I have faith. He has accepted me. Uh, even when I don't feel it, you know, faith over feelings, I believe and I trust that and I get to go to heaven now, he's accepted me. And then you get to uh, affection. Yes, the, the Father loves me, I know that. It's one of the first songs I ever learned. When you come to faith, 
even if you didn't grow up going to church as a, as a child, which I know a lot of us, even in, in this church, a lot of us didn't, even being in the Bible Belt, and yet somehow you know the story, uh, you know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. And so it's, it's one of the first things that we learn. I, I, we, we understand affection, so we sing about it. We sing about love. Love, love, love. Love this, love that. And, as, and, and, and we got songs that are full of love. All the time we're singing about love. And um, why? Because it's a core reality that we need to begin to grasp. But here's the thing. A lot of us don't feel that sense of affirmation from the Father. And until we feel the affirmation of God's love, we'll often default into a performative religion. Until we feel that, until we know it, until we know it in our soul, we'll, we'll default into a performance. And it's, and it's actually the love of God that frees us from a life of performance. You, and you have to know that he doesn't just love you, but that God likes you. And, it's, and as crazy as that sounds, but you have to get it in your soul. Otherwise, we'll think that, well, he's just kind of, he's just putting up with me. God's just putting up with me. And so if he's just putting up with me and I want to be close to him, then i got to go jump through a bunch of hoops and do a bunch of things and, and do all the stuff in order to what? Earn. And so there's a guy named uh, David Benner who wrote a book called The Gift of Yourself. So he's counseled thousands and thousands of people, and he asked this question in the book. He says, what do you think the first thing God thinks about when you come into his presence? So you come into God's presence. What do you think the first thing that God thinks about when you come into his presence? The number one answer, thousands of people, their number one answer was disappointment. The majority of people think that's how God thinks about them, disappointed. And so the amazing thing is that God isn't. The amazing thing is that the gut level truth of God's thoughts toward you isn't disappointment, but delight even if that picture is off in our mind the picture of God in our mind isn't the scrunched up scowl of disappointment but of the father running through the town to meet his son while on his way home after being gone for years that's the that's the picture Colossians 3 says this therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved this is what we are to do we are then to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But here's the challenge. If we don't see ourselves first as holy and dearly loved, then how in the world can we ever be able to create an environment where the rest of that can happen, where we are able to clothe ourselves with compassion, where we can be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient? And so where does, where does all this lead? Where does all this lead? Jesus' woes to the Pharisees. Where does it go to? John chapter 13, we get an incredible picture. Begin in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew God had given him all power and all authority. He knew it in that moment. He knows all of it. And in that moment, this is what he does. He had come from God. He was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Our security 
in God's love and understand that, actually, it eventually leads us into servanthood to God's people. When we're secure in who God's, how, who, um, uh, God's love for us, eventually it looks like Jesus, where he goes, he, he knew he had all authority and all power. Pharisees thought they had all authority and all power. And so they got up and they walked to the center seat and sat down. They loved to sit. They loved to be noticed. They wanted people to see. Jesus knew that he had all authority and all power, and he gets up from his seat and goes around, and he does the most menial servant task. He washes feet. What, a, what, a, what, a, what an unbelievable picture for us. What an incredible picture. Brendan Manning writes this book. It's called uh, Abba's Child. Abba's Child. It's a, this incredible book about God's love for us. He just says this, most of us live with what he called the imposter syndrome. And it's this contrast between um, uh, the, the imposter within us versus the beloved. Where you, when, when you show up in a room, there are really two ways that you bring yourself to the room. So anytime you show up, this is what he said in the book, he said, there's the here I am posture versus the there you are posture. Here I am says, well, here I am. I made it. I'm here. Look at me. See me. Change for me. Do for me. It's about me. And the other option is the there you are. There you are. There you are, God. There, there's your presence. Jesus, everywhere that he walked, walked in this posture of always saying, there you are. How did, how did Jesus' ministry even happen? He comes into the room, and what does he say? He says, there you are. He goes to the tax collector. Everybody says, here I am, here I am, here I am. He goes to the tax collector who's hiding out. Nobody's looking around. Doesn't want anybody to see him. He, and he looks, and he peers through, and he goes, there you are. There you are. He goes to the woman caught in adultery. And everybody's clamoring for attention. And he goes, there you are. He goes to the Samaritan woman by the well. And he goes, there you are. You're hiding out by yourself. There you are. Every, every person he goes to, the people covered in shame, what does he say? There you are. There you are. Jesus doesn't approach his way of saving the world by saying, here I am, look at me. What does he do? He takes off his robe, goes, walks around the table, and washes feet. That's where greatness leads. Until the church begins to recognize and implement the there you are posture, we'll never fully understand the presence of Jesus because that's where he is. That's where he lives. And so the question this morning for us, there's several of them. If you just do this this morning, if you would close your eyes, there's several, we just, you just ask yourself, you go, where, where am I on the scale? Where am I on the scale? Do I walk into a room, say, here I am, or do I walk into a room and you don't have to be an extrovert. You could be an introvert to walk into a room and, and still think, here, here I am. But God's vision, the picture.
picture. The glasses he gives us is, is a there you are picture. Maybe that's you this morning. You say, Joel, it's me. I have the, honestly, I have the hardest time receiving God's love for me. So I put on and I try to earn what is actually already given to me for free. If, if that's you, there's, there's nobody looking around the room. It's just me and Jesus. I'm not going to have you come up here right now. You, just, you can stay right where you are. But if that's you, just as a confession, you say, Joel, will you pray for me? I have the hardest time receiving God's love for me without attempting to earn just receive it. If that's you, just raise your hand real high and you put it right back down. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. If the majority of people, if the majority of us have the picture in our mind where we go, my first thought when I walk in, if, if I were to walk into the room of God's presence, my first thought Jesus would have of me would be disappointment. Then, of course, there would be hands all over the room that would say, yeah, that's, that's me. Or maybe you're in here and you say, Joel, when I hear descriptions of the, of the Pharisees, these religious people and their performance, honestly, there's a little bit of me that's kind of, kind of scared that, that part of that may be me. I don't want to perform. I, I, I want God to have access directly to my heart. And, if, and if, there are, if there's a layer there, if there's a layer there where you recognize, even in the message this morning, you go, there's a layer there where, I don't want there to be performance. I want God full access to my heart. If that's you, just as a confession to Jesus this morning, you just raise your hand real high and you put it back down. Yeah. Or maybe you say, Joel, I've, I've kept myself at arm's length from Jesus because it has seemed like everything is a show. Everything around me. I feel like all I see is a show. But I realize now it's never been about a show. It's always been about God's love for me. And I'm ready to take that step toward Jesus this morning. I've kept Jesus at arm's length because I thought it was about a show and I realized that that was never his intent. It was never his intention. If that's you, you just say, I'm taking a step toward Jesus this morning. It's not about show. It's about falling in love with the creator of the universe who actually has chosen me from the foundation of the world. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real, real high? I'm taking a step toward Jesus. Yeah. Taking a step toward Jesus. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? Father, this morning we, we receive a grace-filled message. God, for those of us in here that recognize we recognize the culture that we live in, that it's a, it's a masked up culture. God, and so we, we recognize that and we work. We ask for your grace, God, and your activity. God, we work at God being vulnerable and true. I'm not putting on a show, God. We're, we're walking around with the truth of your word in us. God, for those of us that are covered up with masks of, God, even of religion, God, may these core realities be embedded in our soul. We already have a father. We have a teacher. We have a family. They're in us. God, may we receive the full blessing of you. God, receiving the blessing of you, knowing, God, that your posture towards us is a there you are posture, ready and open to give grace all over the parts of our lives that need it, and that's every bit of it. God, do that work in us. God, the people that raised their hand this morning, vulnerable and open, God, you already knew it. You already called them to you. We thank you for it.
do a work in them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to worship with you today. It may be gross outside, but it was beautiful in here. Um, and so I, I appreciate you showing up this morning and us being the body of Christ together. Love it. Uh, for those of you who were unable to make it, thank you for joining us online. I'm glad you were with us uh, that way as well. If it's your first time here at Four Corners Church, I'd love the opportunity just to reach out to you, write you a little note, uh, thanking you for being with us. There are connection cards inside each of the uh, bulletins on the table, um, not on the table, on your chair. Um, and uh, if you want to fill that out and drop it off in uh, the little black drop box on the high top table before you exit the sanctuary, um, we'll get those and I'll just be able to, to reach out to you. There's also a way for you to connect with us about groups or serving, next steps, um, really anything. We're real people reading this. So if you just want to write your own information in there, hey, I got a question about this, uh, we'll reach out to you. I want the, I want to uh, meet you right where you are. Uh, but you can fill those out along with on the back side of those connection cards are Ask God, Thank God. And we believe in the power of prayer. We really do. Our prayer team is honored to lift up your needs to the Lord. So if you've got something, you're like, hey, pray with me. We will. Let us know and drop that uh, off as well. I want to say thank you to those who give so faithfully to Four Corners Church. Um, we are here this morning because of your giving. We are able to um, look forward to a build-out very soon and put walls and doors on things so that the kids can play and we can focus. <laughs> um, but no, we're excited. And I, I just want to say thank you uh, for giving. We actually, uh, we believe in planting churches, obviously, because we did it. Um, but we have some friends, uh, new friends, the Hamiltons, who started their first service this morning in Madison at the Becoming Church. So we are always giving to church plants. But Four Corners Church was able to give a special gift just to them for their big uh, day today. And so you've got your fingerprint on that. Thank you. Those of you who give, you helped uh, make their first big day a success. And so I look forward to, I'm sure Joel will call Michael as soon as church is over and find out how it was. But I'm excited. Uh, God's in the business. You know, when we moved up here and excited about planning churches, we wanted to connect with other church bodies. We didn't want to do this alone. And um, everyone was so encouraging. And I remember one of our friends uh, who pastors in South Huntsville was like, we, we have to have more churches. God's going to move. And when people come in, we can't hold them all. No church can hold uh, the harvest that is ready. And so it is exciting to partner with other people around North Alabama who have a heart and a desire to see God move. Uh, and, and so anyway, thank you for being a part of that as well. Awesome. Hey, would you guys stand up with me this morning? Hey, I want to pray for you. Don't forget, we've got a um, the women's thing this next Saturday. I want to invite you to that. Would you do this? Would you hold your hands out like this? I, 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 can't, I can't give you anything, but God can. And so I want to pray for you this morning. May you be filled completely and totally this morning and this week with the full awareness of God's deep, amazing, unbelievable love for you, for those in your life, those in your neighborhood, those where you work, those where you go, those that you love, and those that you struggle to love, may you have a special grace this week, recognizing that in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Hey, love you guys. We'll see you all this next week.